We've been studying for several weeks now the narrative in the beginning of Yeshua Parakeh, the fifth parak of Yeshua, the story of the mass circumcision at Gilgal, at the place called Givas Haralos, the hill of Haralos, the, the foreskins. And it was a mass circumcision. We're about to, re- we're about to learn, we'll, we'll cover today, why it was called Gilgal. The place was called Gilgal based on this episode. But this was the, the mass circumcision that Yeshua performed after they, right after they crossed the Yarden. So we discussed last week, we discussed various reasons why the Jews, the, the, the circum explain at length, the, the, the verses themselves say that the Jews who were born in the desert did not have, were not circumcised. The Jews who had left Egypt were circumcised. We mentioned there was a, this rabbinic idea that there was a mass circumcision the night of the Exodus, but as they ate to get ready for the current Pesach and leaving Egypt, but there was no, but, that, but then they did not do Mila in the desert for 40 years, so all those who were born in the desert didn't have Rizmila. Okay. We mentioned, the Gemara says, is because it was dangerous. It was either, either because there was a certain wind that, that we need to, to heal properly that wasn't blowing in the desert, or because the, the rigors of the journey, they, they, they were traveling, even though they weren't traveling all the time, the, the, the commentaries explain that, 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 that their orders came from on high. Literally, the God would, would move the pillar of cloud, or the pillar of fire, that would be the, that would be the sign they had to move. They didn't, have, they didn't have any advance notice. They didn't have any lead time, so they always had to be ready to move. So they couldn't afford to undergo surgical procedures where, the, where they would have to leave and it wouldn't be safe. This is the same thing we had, and this is actually the same thing I discussed in my share on the parasha last week. It says that uh, there was an incident where Moshe was almost killed, or his son was almost killed, and route back to Egypt, and Tzipora saved the day by performing an emergency field circumcision. So the, the general understanding of the story is that God was punishing Moses for not circumcising his son. The question is, why didn't he circumcise his son? Why hadn't he done so? So there are various explanations, but one of the explanations offered by the Talmud is that Hashem told Moshe to go back to Egypt. Moshe said, what should I do? If I do the bris milah, I won't be safe to travel for the kid. If I do the bris milah and wait a few days until he convalesces, God said, go, I, I, I can't delay. Exactly what Aaron told Moshe, you shouldn't be bringing more Jews to So the Simcha said that Aaron actually criticized Moshe, we don't need more Jews in Egypt due to all the suffering going on there. Maybe the solution was he should have left his family back, back home in, uh, in Midian and traveled by himself, which is what he eventually did, according to some commentaries. When Once he did the meal at, at the Malone, at the lodging, some say that he sent, he sent them back. He left them behind. That's why we find in Pasha's Yisro that the Yisro had to bring Tzipora and Moshe's two children, because he, even though he started out traveling with them back to Egypt, but eventually he may have realized he couldn't do it. He had to do the Mila. The Mila was done, and he couldn't travel any further. But be that as it may, the, so some, some rabbis in the Talmud said the reason the Jews in the desert weren't circumcised is because it was too dangerous because they would have to travel. But in any event, the circums tell us the Jews in the, who were born in the desert weren't circumcised, and they were the ones who, who, the, who had a mass circumcision at Gilgal. Now, we mentioned last week that there were, there, were, there were one or really two groups of people who were circumcised. There were Shevet, Shevet Levi. The, the, the Talmud says, it says in B'zos HaBracha, regarding Shevet Levi, it says they, they kept your covenant. So that means that, that that refers to the fact that Shevet Levi did Mila, even though other Jews didn't, they did. We discussed last week that if it wasn't safe, why did, why did Levi do it? If it was safe, why did everyone else do it? Levi apparently was more committed to the mitzvah, was more willing to take some level of risk. But one way or another, the Talmud, if you put these two, these two Midrashim together, the rest of the Jews didn't do it because it was, there was some risk, it was unsafe, but Shevet Levi did it anyway. Another group of people who had Mila were the people who, were, the people who were under 20 when they, when they left Egypt. It says that 
the, the decree that everyone in the de- everyone, all the Jews died in the desert was only the Ansham El Chama, only the Jews who were 20 or older. So Jews who had been very young when they left Egypt, who had been old, who had been below 20, the, the story of the Miraculum happened uh, a few months in. But 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 the, but those but, but those who were young enough that they that they did they weren't decreed to die in the desert, those had those would have had mila as well. So there were there were there were apparently two groups who did have mila, but most of the Jews, the the, the, the bulk of the populace who had been born in the desert, didn't have bris mila. So it's an interesting thing. The the, the psukim say when they discuss how the mila was done here, so it says Yeshua did the mila. It reiterates, it reiterates God told Yeshua. Make sharp swords. And Yeshua made these swords. This is the, the matter that Yeshua did with Mila, etc., etc. And then it says that, that, that says the Nam Hekim Taktav Osam Mal Yeshua in Pasik Zion. Masudas David says something interesting. Usually what Masudas David says is echoing earlier commentaries. I didn't actually find this yet, although I'm not sure who, who he's quoting here or if anyone, but he, he repeatedly says he, he, he repeatedly says that the Yoshua personally did the, the entire Mila. It would have been a prodigious amount of work to do Mila on hundreds of thousands of people, but he says Yoshua did all the Mila. He says that the when it says the Zehad Gavresh Armal Yoshua, it says in Pasuk Gimel and Pasuk Dalit, it says the Zehad This is the thing. This is the matter that Yoshua did the Mila. The Pasuk means this is the reason why Yoshua himself did the Mila of the entire Klai. So they didn't just do Milas on each other. Yoshua did everything. Several Pesukim later, when it says on Pasuk Zion, it says that no one had a Mila in the Midbar, and that's why Yoshua did it. He reads that into the Pasuk as well. He says, in Pasuk Vav, I'm sorry, it says until everyone died in the Midbar who didn't have. Who, until everyone died who had left Egypt, Im Cain, he says, There was nobody left who had a bris mila. The one who does the mila should have a mila himself, he says. I, I'm not actually sure, I'm not actually sure, La Halacha, if, if, if this, I didn't have a chance to look this up. So I'm not actually sure La Halacha, the, 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 La Halacha, whether someone who doesn't have a bris mila could perform a bris mila. It's probably explicit. I, I didn't have a chance to look it up. Can a woman? Yeah, so the, the question is, can a woman do a bris mila? So I spoke about this last week, uh, spoke about this last week in my parasha share. The Gemara brings in a whether a woman can do bris mila or not. The, what about Sipara? The obvious question. Sipara did a bris mila. The Gemara asked that question. The Gemara says, according to the opinion that a woman cannot do a bris mila, then either when it says Tipara did the bris mila, either it just means she ordered or directed it, she gave the orders for someone to do it, she she like we say like today we in the vernacular we say uh, a father says I made a bris today, so we don't mean he made the bris. Usually we mean either we mean he made the party or we mean he he gave, ordered and arranged the bris. So one opinion says that's what Sipara did. Another opinion says she started it and Moshe finished it. But anyway, it's Machlokas. It's a big Machlokas how we pass in also. The, the, the Sfardim, the Rif, and the Rambam, and the Shulchan Aruch. Sfardim pass a woman can. Ideally, you should look for a man, they said. But Nikra Din, a woman can. If there's, no, if, there's no, if there's no man around, a woman can do it. Ashkenazim are stricter. Ashkenazim are choshesh for the opinion that a woman really can't do it. So Ashkenazim are more strict about not having a woman doing it. When my... When my son was born, he was in the hospital. I was with I was in the hospital with, uh, with my wife and my son. I was approached by a woman medical resident. She was she was Jewish and she knew I think she was conservative. She uh, she told me that as part of her job she does circumcisions 
and you know, sometimes she has a Jewish kid, and she wanted to know if she if she can at least fulfill the mitzvah when she has a Jewish kid, if she can at least do a valid bris milah from a, from a tar, from a halachic perspective as well. I didn't really know, and I you know, I, I, I didn't have my head with me totally. I told her I would try to get back to her. I, I, I forgot. I never did it. But anyway, it's a machlokas. So it, it's probably better than nothing because according to Svardim, Mikra Din, it's fine. Ideally, you should get a man, but Mikra Din, it's fine. More stricter, but it's still probably better than once you're doing it anyway, you might as well do it with It's fine. But anyway, yes. So the and into in the course of that discussion, the, the Gemara the Gemara says a Gentile cannot do Mila, cannot do a valid Mila. And the Gemara brings two uh, two two drushers. One of them is Hamol Yimol, only he who has a bris Mila. Himol Yimol, the Pasik says, we darshan Hamol Yimol, only someone who has a valid bris Mila, or someone who's in who has the mitzvah of Mila can actually do the Mila. So it might be that, if, that even a Jew who has a mitzvah, if he chose not to do it, if he didn't do it, then maybe he can't do a bris milah. So I'm not sure. I really should have looked this up. But the but anyway, that's what the Mitzvah David says that, that none of the Jews could do the milah because they didn't have milahs. And the first, so I, I guess you can raise uh, you know, three, three of three, three objections, three points in response to this. So first of all, first of all, you can we can say Shevet Levi according to the according to the midrash, the entire Shevet Levi had a bris milah, so, so they could have done bris milah. Second, all the people who were young when they left Egypt, the 15-year-olds when they left Egypt, they all had they 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 had had bris milas back in Egypt, and they, and they didn't die in the desert generally. So they could have done. Now they were older. Now they were 45 or whatever. So they, they presumably could have done bris mila. <coughs> third possibility is, I suppose I just thought of this, but the third possibility is those who once it could have gone in a. Uh, in, a, in, an ex, in an escalating process, once the first Jews had brismila, they could have then turned around and done brismila. They were recuperating; they they weren't in good shape. I mean, maybe they were knocked out by the procedure, and they, and they had to. Maybe they weren't in any condition to go around doing delicate surgery. But anyway, so the Maturus David says the whole thing had to be done by Yeshua because because nobody else had a brismila, so nobody else was suitable. As I said, we we can raise certain challenges to that, but that's what he says that the whole thing was done by Yeshua because nobody else was able to do it. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a related point, I discussed this in my Pasha share last week as well, God tells Yeshua, make harvos surim, make swords or knives surim, most commentaries say it means sharp, we said some say it means stone, but most commentaries say harvos surim means sharp knives, v'yaslo Yeshua, p'sukim and gimel, v'yaslo Yeshua, harvos surim, he made these sharp knives. Why does it say harvos, multiple harvos? So... Anon, the, the founder of the Karite uh, sectarian interpretation of Judaism, lived a uh, thousand plus years ago, some 1500 years ago or something. So Anon, <coughs> one of his Karite followers, the Karites were the great enemies of the ideological enemies of the rabbinates for hundreds and hundreds of years, from the time of the Gaonim through the time of the Rishonim, Ibn Ezra, and Rafsadiagon, and later, down through the time of the Shulchan Aruch, the Karaites were a, were, were a major ideological, ideologically opposed faction to the, our interpretation of Judaism. Today, Karaites still exist. They're a shadow of their former selves. They have a website, uh, World, World Karaite Jewry, but today, today it's an insignificant... Uh, today, the challenges we face are from reform or conservative, and back then, though, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the challenge that we faced was from Karite Judaism. They were they were somewhat fundamentalist, you know, biblical literalist, but they also beyond that they, they had their own traditions, their own interpretation of Judaism. They rejected Mishnah, Talmud, and everything, and they had their own Tarshim They accepted. They had their own interpretations of it, and they were a major thorn in the sides of rabbinic Judaism for for many years. So the Anon is quoted by one of his followers as having said that it's, that when it says Charvos Turim plural. It means you have to have a multi-bladed instrument like a scissors. 
you cannot use a knife for Mila, you must use the scissors, and uh, that's what Anand said, because it says, Charvos Tzur. So, even the Karaites, this follower, this uh, sefer called Gan Eden, a 14th century work called Gan Eden, <coughs> he disagrees. He says, Charvas Tura means because they did multiple, they had to do circumcision of the whole Klai Israel. They needed multiple knives. This a surgeon doesn't go in with one scalpel. Even when there's one surgeon, you don't have one, uh, you don't have one scalpel. Certainly when there's a whole nation that has to have Mila. I'm not sure if he means there were multiple Mohalim, you know, not like the Mishnah David who said it was only Yoshua, or he meant even if there's one Mohel, the, the knives break, the knives dull, you want to have uh, spares and backups and so on. But the, I said in the share that the Rambam says, the Rambam says that even if you can use a scissors or a knife, the Minog is to use a knife. Why is that the Minog? So Ramanachim Kasher suggests that was the Minog because we want to we want to show that we reject the Karite uh, Shita. Since Anan had said you should use specifically a scissors, we do Dafka knife to show that we reject Karite Karite interpretations. But anyway, Matudas David has this uh, noteworthy opinion that all the Milos were done by Yeshua, but one way or another. Uh, it could just mean, like you said about Tipara, that it means Yoshua was responsible for all the milas. They all had their milas, and then finally, getting 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 down to Pasuches, it says, tamu when the entire nation, when the entire nation had concluded their circumcisions, they were they all had their circumcisions. And they remained there. They they didn't proceed. They they didn't march on until Chayosam, until the wounds healed. This is what we find that, again, Mila as a baby is, uh, needs medical attention, but it's not, it's not so severe. Mila as an adult apparently is a, uh, is a traumatic procedure. We find, that's what we find about Shechem. It says that they, when Shimon and Levi were able to massacre Shechem because they were all uh, convalescing from the Mila, so they, they were able to wipe them all out. The, the Ralbag, Ralbag has a, has a particularly diabolical interpretation of Shimon and Levi's massacre. He says the way they did it, the way they were able to take on a whole city, in addition to the fact that they were recuperating, he says, what they did was, just like today, the Mohel visits the, visits the child a couple of a day or two, whatever it is, after the meal to make sure everything's okay, to change the dressing, make sure it's healing properly. So he says, what Shimon and Levi did was after they performed the meal of the whole city of Shem, is they went door to door checking, saying, we're, you know, we're checking on the people. And they, they, they would tell the family to leave the room so they could, you know, they could check him privately. They would close the door, they would cut his throat to whatever he did, and they would say, don't disturb him, he's resting, you know, leave him alone for a <laughs> And that's how they wiped out the whole city. Um, so, the term Charbos, does that come from Charbos? I think so, yes. So then it would, it would suggest you should be multi-blade. Right, you, 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 I mean, I'm sorry, it would suggest that... That it should be not just a knife, but I mean, a, a single sword would be like a knife. Right. right? But then if, if it's Charbos... Yeah, so, there, so, the, so the, the, that was the point that Anon made, that because it says Charbos, uh, that means it was a multi-bladed instrument, but uh, this, this, oh, this, his Karite follower, the, the author of the Ganeidin, Aaron ben Elio, he said, no, Charbos means that they made multiple instruments of the Cherev, for, or and he points out that in, in, in last in Pasha we read yesterday, it, it says Batikakti Paraksar. There, it's, there he uses Lashon Yachid, which took only one. Yeah, so it's uh, apparently there was a Karite interpretation based on this pasuk and our pasuk, but, but others, even the Karite, some of them disagreed, and we certainly disagree. It might be, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the father merely by handing the, the mic to the model gets credit for having modeled his son. So 
Yoshua simply authorizes it. Right, so that could be also that. The halacha we give the credit or the it's attributed to the one who... And if cargos means many, then that would follow also. Right, actually the actual implementation was done by many people, but the authorization, the one who gets credit for it, the one who planned it, and yeah, gets good, right. Double-edged sword, double-edged knife, right. Isn't the example of Zipporah as a mother doing as they travel under, as future reference undermined by the statement in the Gemara that the mother has no obligation? Yes, so, 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 so as a matter of halacha, I mentioned before that the Machlok is whether she can do it. She definitely has no obligation. It's definitely not her mitzvah. The question is, one opinion says, even though it's not her mitzvah, she, she is still eligible to do it, even though, she, even, though it's, even though she doesn't have a mitzvah. And that actually ties into an interesting question. The, the, in, the, in the Sefer HaMikna, the Pinchas Horowitz, one of the great poskim on uh, Mepharshim, on, 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 on this discussion, he raises the question in his Sefer on Kedushin, Sefer HaMikna is a Sefer on Kedushin, where it discusses the, the Gemara Yusei, that a woman is not obligated. He actually raises the question, according to the, the opinion that says she could do the Mila, even though she's not obligated, would she make a brach? So for Ashkenazim, it's not really an issue, because for Ashkenazim, our custom is that women, when women do mitzvahs they're not obligated to do voluntarily, they do make brachas. When a woman hears shofar, she makes the bracha. When a woman takes a lulav, sits in the sukkah, she makes the bracha. She can be out too with her husband if she's having a meal together, but if a, if a woman goes to have lunch in the sukkah by herself and she sits in the sukkah, Ashkenazi women have the practice, we say, even though, even though we say, to, 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 to live in the and she doesn't have the tzivoy, she's not commanded, but since it is a mitzvah and she, and she does get a mitzvah for doing it, Ashkenazim follow the opinion of Tosfus that she, that she can and should make the bracha. Svardim, by and large, follow the position of the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch, that even though it is a, a meritorious and praiseworthy thing for her to do, to, to do the mitzvah on a voluntary basis, but since she's not obligated, she cannot say the bracha, she cannot say v'tzivan. So the, the Sefer HaMikna discusses if a woman does mila, according to the opinion that she's eligible, can she make the bracha, according to the Shulchan Aruch, according to the Ramah, she certainly could, according to the... According to the Shulchan Aruch, according to the Svardim, that she cannot make a bracha if she's not commanded. So can she make the bracha if she's not actually commanded to? He's not actually sure. I think he concludes that the, that the implication of the Shulchan Aruch is that she can, but uh, it's different from other mitzvahs, but it's, a, it's actually a real question, yes. So they waited till the Mila healed. It took, it took a few days. It, uh, it took a few days for it to heal. And uh, as we said, that that's why, according to one opinion of the Talmud, they that's why they that's why they didn't do mila in the desert because they never knew when they would have to travel. They needed a few days to. Uh, and that's why Moshe didn't do the mila because he, was, he, he had to travel and he needed a few days to, to recuperate after the mila. That's what the Jews did. They, they waited before proceeding in their campaign against uh, before moving on. They waited before doing the mila. They remained in one place in Pasuket, Amachna in their camp, Ad Chayosam and Chayosam. Chayosam is from the word Chay to live, but it also means. Uh, not just life and death, it means right, recuperate for it to get better. So, so it, uh, they waited until the Mila got better. Then in Pasuk Tess, the Yomer Hashem al Yoshua, Hashem now once again spoke to Yoshua. He told him, Hayom, this is a glorious day, Hayom, today, Galosi es cherpas mitzrayim me'alechem. Galosi means I have rolled off, I have, uh, I, I have removed, I, I, I have I, Galosi from Gilgal, I, I have rolled off the well, we'll see, there are different ways maybe to interpret Kalosi, but basically I have removed, I have rolled away the Cherpas Mitzrayim, the disgrace of Egypt. We'll discuss in detail what, what this means, the disgrace of Egypt. It refers to the Mila, but what, what, why is this called the disgrace of Egypt? We'll discuss several different explanations soon. 
And therefore, because of this statement of Hashem, the Hayom Galosius, Karapas Mitzrayim, Me'alechem, Ayikra Hashem HaMakomahu, Gilgal Ad Hayom Azad. That's why the place was called Gilgal. Gilgal was a famous city for hundreds of years. That's where the Mishkan was. That's where the Mishkan was here. Gilgal was a famous city. It was called Gilgal because of this incident. We, 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 before we mentioned it was called Givas Haralos, the Hill of Foreskins. There are different shots of what the Hill of Foreskins means. Some say it was a, a natural hill. They did the Mila on the hill, so it was called the Hill of the Foreskins. Others say the, there were so many Foreskins that made a kind of hill, just the, the refuse, the biological waste of the Mila, created a little mound of... Uh, but either way, it was called uh, the Hill of the Foreskins. And now it was called Gilgal because of Hashem's statement, Hayom Galosi as Cherpas Mitzrayim. What does the word Galosi mean? So we said there are... There, 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 are different, there are different ways to translate the word Galosi. The Matudas David says, Matudas Sion says, Galosi Miloshin Gilgal Vesibu. Like, it's called Gilgal. Galosi from the word Gilgal means to roll, to roll off, to, to roll away. That's why it was called Gilgal. That's why it was called Galosi. That's why Hashem meant by Galosi. The Radak says, the Radak says that, that the real word is Galosi, but. Uh, that, 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 the re- that the real word is Galosi. I'm not sure exactly how we understand what Galosi means, but it's called Gilgal. Sometimes uh, the, the Torah repeats an extra letter when, when, it, when, it tra- when it transforms the word into a different form and it adds another letter. So, so Gilgal is like Galosi. So it means he rolled off, he, uh, he removed, removed the disgrace of Egypt. I recall reading, and I don't remember where or what the circumstances were, that there's a geological feature outside of the area where, where Jericho is. It is a large circular valley. Maybe that's Gilgal because it was round. It was round like a wheel. Okay, so that, that can be another interpretation. Yeah, that, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. So, what is Kherpas Mitzrayim? What, what, the fact that they now had the Mila, this is, this is Hashem said, I have removed the, the Kherpas Mitzrayim. What is Kherpas Mitzrayim? What does it mean that I've removed the Kherpas Mitzrayim? So there are a number of different interpretations of this. Um, of this, of, of the number of, there are a number of different interpretations of, of of what this means. Rashi said Galosi means Hasirosi. I've removed. So it either means removed or it means to roll. It can, it can either mean that, like just by Yaakov, by Yagalos, Evan, he uncovered the well. He rolled off the stone. So the what is Kharpas Mitzrayim? So Rashi brings a midrash that in these parshios where uh, one of, I forget which time it was. One of the times when Moshe. Demanded that Paro release the Jewish people, and he says, uh, Paro told him darkly, See that evil is opposing you. Evil is uh, is in front of you. So what, is, what does that mean, So there's a midrash that says that Ra refers to a, a particular star, a particular heavenly body, and it's a simon sheldam. It's a, it's, a, it's a bad omen, it's an omen of blood. Commonly, we say that the, that the, the star, not really a star, a planet, but the, commonly we say that the heavenly body that portends blood is Mars. I mean, Mars is the red planet, Mars is the planet that, 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 that the Greeks associated with the god of war, I guess. The, 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 the ancients associated with the god of war. But in, in astrology, Mars is often the planet that symbolizes... Uh, they, they used to call the planet stars as well. They, they referred to the fixed stars and the, and the, and the transitory stars, the... The, the Kochavim Kavuim and the Kochvei Leches. The Kochvei Leches are the movable stars, the ones that move in the sky relative to other bodies. We call those planets. They orbit the sun. But the, so they often said Mars is the star that, that, that portends blood. The Gemara says someone who's born of the Mazel of, of Madim, of Mars, if it, 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 it portends some kind of blood in his future. But 
So the Matriam, according to the Midrash, said something similar. Paro was saying there's a certain star or planet that's called Ra. That's what he meant by Ra. It's a Simon Shaldam. And therefore, Mitzrayim was saying that you know, this is not going to end well for you if you go out into the desert. I see astrologically that it's going to that, that it's going to end in blood. It's going to end in death and blood for you. That was what Moshe Rabbeinu meant when he said when, when, when Moshe begged Hashem not to destroy the Jewish people. He said we read this on the fast day, the, the, the Kriyat Torah of a fast day. We say. If you kill the Jewish people, Moshe, I think after the Egel, Moshe said, Hashem, don't kill them because Matrim are going to say, we told you so. We told you that this is not going to end well for you. We told you it's going to end in blood. We told Hashem, if you, if you kill the Jewish people, the Matrim are going to say, I told you so. so it's not, that, that will be a kill Hashem, and that, that's not going to be good, so don't kill them. So this, this all refers, according to the Midrash, to this prophecy that Paro made, this astrological prediction that Paro made. That the, that the Jewish uh, that the Jewish adventure in the desert was going to end in, uh, in in catastrophe in death. So really, what, what really Para wasn't totally wrong. The, the, this Ra was a genuine astrological portent, according to the Midrash. It referred to blood, just not the blood of the not the blood of death of, of, of destruction, the blood of Mila, the great the great mitzvah, the great uh, Kiddush Hashem of Mila. So Hashem was saying, Hayom Galosi. Hayom Galosi Escherpas Mitzrayim. Up till now, this was interpreted as uh, as something as something uh, a stigma, as something that would be bad. Now I've demonstrated that it really was the great Mila. Now you you no longer need to be afraid of the Mitzrayim saying you're going to end in death, taunting you that it's not going to end well. So now I've removed the Escherpas Mitzrayim by 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 reinterpreting this portent in a in a wholesome and positive way rather than the negative way the Mitzrayim did. You, you could just use like a simple literal translation that the Karpas Mitzrayim was the presence of the foreskin, and then when you remove it, it's... Yes, so, 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 so Jerry's shot we'll get to in a moment. That, that, that is definitely a simpler shot, a more down-to-earth shot. Um, I'm, I'm going kind of in order of the Mepharshim. Rashi was the earliest. I'm going through his shot first, but yes, the, the, the shot that Jerry's saying we'll, we'll get to in a moment. So... Are you saying that the... Uh, the reason that most of the Jews were not circumcised was because of the threat. Well, the, the, reason, the reason they weren't circumcised that we discussed more last week. It, it, the Talmud says it was because it was because of just physical danger that the mila it was dangerous to do the mila either because they were traveling so it wasn't safe to do the mila or because the, they, they lacked this wind that was necessary for proper healing. The Talmud says I, mean, I don't know what that means in modern science, but the, what the Talmud says that they needed a certain wind to blow. The wind wasn't blowing during the period of the desert either because they were in disgrace or because they, Hashem didn't want the wind to scatter the clouds of glory. Yeah, no, no, it, 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 I don't think it's connected to this. This is just something the Matrim said. The Matrim said that uh, we see in the stars, we, we, see the, we see in the stars that there's blood, so that, that means you're going to end in, uh, in death and blood. Hashem was saying, no, they're going to end in a great mitzvah of Mila, it's going to end happily with a great uh, connection to Hashem, it's not going to end in their death. So that, that's what Rashi says based on this Midrash. And... And, uh, and Rashi brings uh, that throughout Mitzrayim, the, the, even, though they, even though they had left Mitzrayim, the Erev Rav, the, the Egyptians who weren't really uh, totally committed to being Jewish, still still mocked them for this. They still said this is not going to end well, you're gonna, it's going to end in death, and so on. The Kherpath Mitzrayim. So it's the, this, is how, this is how Chazal and the Midrash, Rashi understand Kherpath Mitzrayim means that the Mitzrayim were taunting them with, their, uh, with, with, with a bloody fate. 
The Radak brings Wapshat, which is more, which is, I think, Wapshat that Jerry was saying, a little more down to earth. He says that the it's called Cherpas Mitzrayim means that the, the Arla itself was called Cherpas. The, the Farshim bring the Pasuk again, back in the story of the Mila of Shem, when, when, when the sons of Yaakov told Shem that we can't, the Shem Chamar proposed that, that we'll let, 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 let's merge our families, let, let's intermarry and do business together. And the, the sons of Yaakov said, we'll do it, but only on the condition that you do Mila. And they explained, you have to do Mila because Ki Cherpa Hilanu says, it's a cherpa for us to give our, our daughters to men who are uncircumcised. So they also use the word cherpa to describe the state of being uncircumcised. So you see that being uncircumcised itself, nothing, nothing to do with astrology, being uncircumcised itself is a cherpa. And this is called cherpas mitzrayim because mitzrayim were arelim, and the Jews were like the mitzrayim. So up till now, the Jews, uh, we know the Jews in Egypt, on the one hand, the Midrash will tell us that they kept certain signs of distinction, Various, various versions of the Midrash, they kept their own language, their own names, their own clothing, their own... Uh, there were certain things that remained distinct. On the other hand, we also know that there was terrible assimilation. We know the, the Gemara famously says that the Midas Hadin said, why do the Jews deserve to be redeemed from Egypt? The Jews had fallen into the 49th depth of Tumah, and they worshipped the idols like the Egyptians. So the Jews, the Jews in many ways had assimilated with the Egyptians. And one of the ways was they apparently didn't have Rismila. And, the, and so that's Kherpas Mitzrayim. Up till now, you, you share the, the Kherpa, the Arla of Mitzrayim. And now that we finally remove that, now we finally remove that, and now you no longer have the Kherpa of Mitzrayim. The way the, way the Mitzrayim David says it, he says that the Mitzrayim would themselves taunt them. They would say, you think you're better than us. You think you're somehow, you, know, you're, you're, you have a different, superior religion. You, you, you know, you, you, talk a, you, you talk a lot of talk, but you, know, you don't walk the walk. You don't have... Uh, you're, you're, you're a Raylam just like us. You, you don't have the. You don't have. You're, you're, you're an RL. So that finally, this was the, the removal of the Kherpas Mitzrayim. Now they had Brismilas, and now they were back into their proper state of being different from the Egyptians. It's an interesting thing. I don't know the whole history that well, but in the United States, Mila is quite common even among non Jews. the United States, Mila is not looked at as a kind of uniquely Jewish thing, a kind of mark of. Uh, in, in Europe, in other parts of the world, it was. In, in, in other parts of the world, Europe, uh, Mila was very uncommon among non-Jews. The, in, in, the, in, in the literature of the Achronim, when in the, in the halachic literature, when, when, when they would refer to non-Jews, sometimes they would just call them Goyim. Sometimes, when they wanted to distinguish b- between Christians and Muslims, they, 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 would, they, would, use the, they, they would refer to the Christians as Arelim, and the Muslims they would refer to as you know, Turks or Tugarmim, you know, so the, because the Christians were did not have Mila. Christians and Muslims do Mila. Christians don't do Mila. Typically in Europe, Turks. Turks, yeah. The, 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 the Ottoman Empire was like the whole much of the Muslim world back then was under the Ottoman Empire. So uh, Tugarmim, so we often refer to Turks, so Turkmen, you know, men basically Muslims of various sorts. So the Muslims of the Ottoman Empire. So the but the Christians were called Arelim because they were the ones who didn't do Brismila. The European Christians didn't have Brismila. In America, you know, maybe they wouldn't use the term because Amer- Americans are often circumcised anyway. But in Europe, it was uh, in, in Europe it was a major mark of distinction between Jews and non-Jews. So the I don't think that was, like when we were your age, I don't think Pris was a common thing in the United States. Oh yeah, maybe maybe maybe, maybe it, it was even among like non-Jews. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh-huh. The hospital did it almost automatically. Yeah. I know in some cases they did it. Even like 50 years ago? You were Jewish, you had to tell them, don't. 
Uh-huh. You want to do it yourself, even, right? Even like 50 years ago or so? Yeah. Yes, I, I, I wouldn't know 50 years ago. I spoke to the doctors today who talked about doing it. After. Okay. So anyway, but back then it was Karapas Mitzrayim, because the Mitzrayim certainly were not circumcised, and the Jews were. And therefore, it's called, therefore it's called Gilgal Adayamazim. The Ralbag has another interpretation of Karapas Mitzrayim. The Ralbag has a, a, a unique interpretation. He himself calls it unique. He writes, after, after giving his explanation, he says, he writes that... He says he likes his chat. He says he, he thinks his, his chat is correct, even though he says, It's unprecedented. I haven't found this explanation in any of my predecessors. Like many of the Rishonim, much of what the Rabbag writes is based on his predecessors. Ibn Ezra, he was a great admirer of Rambam. But sometimes he has his own ideas, and he says that even though this chat, I didn't find, any, I didn't find this in any safer of earlier, earlier commentaries, I still think this is a good chat. The Rabbag's chat is that... This is part of an elaborate uh, theory he has, an elaborate theological perspective he has. But he says, in, in the Ralbag's view, the Karapas Mitzrayim refers to the pagan beliefs. It refers to the pagan beliefs in animal worship and so on. The Ralbag on Parshas Bo has an elaborate explanation of the ritual of the Karim Pesach, but especially the way it was done then, putting the blood on the doorposts, and staying there all night inside the homes. He says that the goal of the Karim Pesach was to make a very vivid and uh, visceral demonstration of the nullity of idols, of the nullity of animal worship, uh, that, that the Jews were, were susceptible to the Egyptian beliefs, they worshipped animals. Uh, some, of them, some of the Rishonim tell us that they're just like the Hindus in, in India, worshipped you know, cattle and other things. So that the, the Jews worshipped, uh, that's what we have in the, we had in the end of Barashas, Kitavas, Mitzrayim, Tzaroitzon, that the, that, that the Mitzrayim abominated shepherds. Midrashim tell us it was because they, they worshipped the sheep. So the, the Rabbach has this elaborate thesis that the whole point of the Karim Pesach was to drive home to the Jews, this is an animal. You kill it, you put the blood on the walls. It's, it's, not, it's not a god. It's, we don't treat it respectfully. It's for our benefit. We kill the animals. It was meant, it was, it was meant for them to contemplate and focus on this. And to, that's why it was Mechomibasa. That's why they took the animal four days in advance. Shabbos Agadol, they, they took the, the animal four, so they could contemplate what they would do and fully internalize what they were about to do. They were going to slaughter the animal, the greatest, from the Egyptian perspective, the greatest blasphemy and, uh, and uh, irreligious thing they could do. God was showing them this is not a god. You know, there's one god. He's intangible. And uh, that's how the Rabbach understands the current Pesach. So he understands that the benefit of the Karim Pesach was to erase a uh, theologically pernicious view of idolatry from the Jewish mind. Mm-hmm. And we know they could only bring the Karim Pesach if they had Mila. So now also they were going to bring the Karim Pesach again. And the, as a matter of fact, the next Pasuk, right after we just read through Pasuk test, where it says, Hayom Galosi has Karim Pesach and they called it Gilgal. The next Pasuk, Pasuk Yud, Vayachinu v'nei Yisrael v'gilgal, Vayasu was a Pesach barbaz, Vayom l'chosh v'er v'avos yuricho, they, they camped in Gilgal, and they made the Pesach on the 14th of Nisan the, the, in Arvos Yericho, in the, this area near Yericho. So according to the Rabbach, that's the connection. The, 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 this Mila led directly to the ability to bring the current Pesach. We discussed uh, previously, this Machlokis in, in the Rishonim, whether they brought the current Pesach in the desert. There, there, is, there is a Midrash that says that throughout the years the Jews were in the desert, they, never, they did not bring a Pesach. This was the first time in, in, in dozens of years they brought, the, they brought the Pesach. In Pashas Baloshka, it, it recounts the, on the first anniversary of the Exodus, they brought a Karim Pesach. That was when God gave Pesach Sheni for the Jews who couldn't do it on Pesach Rishon. That was in Pashas Baloshka. That was before the sin of the Miraglim in Pashas Shlach. 
that was that was still the first anniversary of the Exodus. The second Nisan after they came out, they brought the Pesach, and then the Midrash says until this Pesach here in Yeshua, forty years later, they did not bring another Karm Pesach. So for dozens of years, they didn't bring it. Why? Because they didn't do Mila. We said before they weren't doing Mila in the deserts. So they couldn't bring the Pesach. The halacha is. Someone who doesn't have a bris milah, even someone whose son doesn't have a bris milah, and he's responsible for it, he's the father, can't bring the Pesach. So according to some Rishonim, the Ramban, the Rambag, the Jews did not bring the Pesach in the desert. And that's what the Torah is saying here, that the now, now that, now that you, you do this milah, now that it's not dangerous anymore, Rambag goes with the idea that it was dangerous while they were traveling, now that it's not dangerous, now you can do the milah, now you can bring the Pesach. And now, Galosias, Karpas Mitzrayim, now I, I have uh, removed from you. Now you're able to, by doing the Pesach and by eradicating the, the, the vestiges of idolatrous belief from your head, now you, you'll have removed the Karpas Mitzrayim. The, the Karpas Mitzrayim refers to the pernicious beliefs of the pernicious beliefs of the of, of the of, of the Mitzrayim. Now that you did Mila and did the current Pesach, that'll enable you to extirpate the beliefs of Avodah And now that's the Kharpas Mitzrayim that you're finally getting rid of. Okay. So you could like combine, you know, these theories that it, you know, both the physical removal and the philosophical removal is accomplished by... Uh, right, the physical removal of the physical Arla itself and the philosophical removal of the idolatrous notions, perhaps, yes. Rabag would another shot as well, which is also very interesting. The, the Rabag says that maybe the Kharpas Mitzrayim refers also philosophically but a little bit differently. Instead of referring to the intellectual idolatrous ideas, it refers to taiva. There, there's an idea that first appears in the Rambam that the purpose of Rasmila, there are a number of theories about what the, what the purpose and rationale of Rasmila is. One theory of the Rambam, I, I, don't know the, I don't know medically, I don't know what we know about this from studies in modern physiology, but, but there is a theory that the Rambam believes that the foreskin essentially, you know, the critics of Brismila call it a mutilation. They call it a... Uh, Rambam essentially agrees. The Rambam says, unlike some say, I think the more dominant shot of Jewish thought, there's a, there's a popular idea that Mila is perfecting the organ. Mila makes it more perfect. There's a famous Gemara. The Gemara says, someone challenged the... One of the one, some Roman challenged one of the Chachamim. He says, he says that if... Uh, what's, he asked him a question, what's better? What he said, what he said, what's better though, the work of God or the work of man? It was meant as a veiled attack on Mila. God made a person, you know, the, the Greeks idolized the body, the, the natural human body. God made the body with an Arlo. What do you think you're doing? You think you can improve on God's handiwork? You know, like, what are you doing? He told him, uh, man's hand, expect him to say, God's handiwork is better, then, he, then he'd be in a trap. So then why do you think you can improve on God's handiwork? He answered, so he, he, he got the better of him. The rabbi answered, no, actually, it's man's handiwork that's better. So the Greek looked at him, the Roman looked at him and said, what do you mean? He said, what's better, wheat or uh, Danish, basically? Gluska, Yaffa. He said, well, the Danish is better. The, the wheat is wheat. He said, you see, the point is God put us in the world to improve. God gave us the, the natural world, and he gave us the, the mind and the understanding and the tools of science and technology and skill, human skill to improve on the world, natural world. The same thing applies here. God gave us the Arla, but that doesn't mean the Arla is the ideal state. God gave us the chance to improve by doing Grismila. So there is a popular idea that Mila is meant to be an improvement of the Aver, but the Rambam says, no, it's the opposite. He says the Mila is indeed a deformation of the Aver, and it's meant to be Mamayat the Taiva. He says the, 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 the Taiva of, of sexual uh, activity, the man and the woman, he seems to say, is, is greater when there is an Arla. 
people today, I know they argue about it. I know people sometimes uh, claim that there's more, it's, uh, it's more enjoyable with an Arla. I, mean, I guess most people haven't tried it both ways. I guess Gera maybe, who have, who have, who have Mila as an adult. But, uh, but it, there is the claim that, 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 it, that somehow that uh, having the Arla increases sexual pleasure. The Rambam says, again, I, I have no idea, but the, the Rambam says that, this is, that that's exactly the point. The point is to reduce the, the taiva or the pleasure involved. And the reason for that is because even though God wants us to use that part of our body in the correct way, it, if, if it's too strong or too intense for the drive, it can lead to erva. Mitzrayim, when the Torah refers to tavas mitzrayim all the time as the sexual perversions, which the Rambam understands to have been because of an excessive taiva, because of a superfluity of of libido, of, uh, of unbridled taiva. That, the, 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 when the Torah talks about Erevah, it always says, Kamasi Eretz Mitzrayim Los Asim, the abominations of Egypt were a symbol, a symbol of sexual excess. So the Rambam says, Mila was meant to reduce the, the taiva, the drive, the libido to a more manageable level. By, uh, by, by mutilating the Eretz that, that, that brings the taiva down into a more manageable, more, uh, more tolerable way. So the Rambam says it could be also that's what the Torah meant by Yom Galosi as Cherpas Mitzrayim. Cherpas Mitzrayim, the disgrace of Egypt, is the sexual licentiousness, the the unbridled, uncontrolled, uh, uncontrolled uh, libido that expressed itself in sexual perversions in Egypt. Now that you have a Milo, which is meant to regulate and control the, this, that's the removal of the Cherpas Mitzrayim. This is the Rambam. The fundamental question then would be: Is the removal? Uh, because it was associated, it, in other words, let's say if we weren't associated with Mitzrayim, would, would the excess, assuming it's correct, that you have excess sexual pleasure, so would that be okay, or is it just it, 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 because... Right, so th- th- that's, another, that's, a very, that's a very deep and important question. This is a profoundly important question. Does Judaism have a problem with... Uh, Independently of pleasure, pleasure per se, independent of erva and Mitzrayim and abominations, does, uh, assuming it's you know, healthy with someone's, with, a, with someone's legitimate wife and so on, does Judaism doesn't place any limits on, on sexual enjoyment, on sexual pleasure. So that's a very interesting question. The, on the one hand, the Talmud generally doesn't doesn't really have doesn't really have such a such an ascetic streak as much. The Talmud has famously said, if a person deprives himself of relatively harmless pleasures, even wine, the Talmud says famously the Nazir, the Nazarite who, uh, who, who who swears off wine, is considered a sinner because. You have the ability to have wholesome. We know today. I mean, alcohol is can, can be terrible. The Talmud also recognizes alcohol can have can lead to terrible problems, health problems, social problems. But at least you know, drink responsibly, like the beer commercials say, enjoy responsibly. But at least alcohol, when when handled correctly, is uh, the Talmud felt is a wholesome and harmless pleasure, and therefore. Someone who deprives himself of it you know, for no good reason is actually a sinner, according to one opinion. Other opinions disagree. Other opinions say that it's, uh, it, it is, a, it is a, a, a pious attitude. The Talmud has a number of conflicting opinions on this, and, 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 and this debate goes down to the medieval period as well. We find we, the Ramban says that he thinks, in his opinion, the Nazir is called a sinner. He should have stayed a Nazir. He's called a sinner for giving up his Naziris. Once he, once he reached this level where he, where he was able to live without alcohol, he's a sinner for giving it up and going back to a life of alcohol. So Arman does take a little bit uh, the, the, the abstemious notion. The, 
especially when it comes to sexual pleasure. Entire books have been written about this, whether whether Judaism encourages it uh, when done in a kosher and wholesome and permitted way, or whether Judaism still says that it's it's vulgar and it should be limited to procreation or to fulfilling one's duties to a spouse or so on. But it shouldn't be something that we indulge in for the sake of enjoyment, for the pure enjoyment, for the personal enjoyment. Because there are there are there are definitely conflicting opinions on this. I I, I don't I'm not going to go into it that much further because I don't have the source in my fingertips. The the Rambam in particular tended to believe that it was not something particularly wholesome. The Rambam, following Aristotle, following some of the certain Greek thinkers, believed that it was it's the opposite of spirituality. Spirituality is the mind, is the intangible, the, the, anything to do with the body, anything corp- corporeal, anything to do with touch and the physical senses was vulgar and was beneath us. There's a, um, I like to quote... What should be minimized? It should be, it should be minimized, because I think, to the extent that... Because it interferes with your... Uh, yeah, it, it detracts from a person's loftier and more... Uh-huh. I, I always like to quote, there's a Yitzchak Avinu, when he wanted to bless his children before... When he wanted to bless his children before he died, Esau, before he died, he said, Haveli matamim. He instructed Esau, go bring me delicacies. Hunt and bring me delicacies. Why did Yitzchak want delicacies? So there's a chat, I think Rashi brings it as a chat, that a, that a, Navi, a Navi needs to be in a joyous and positive frame of mind to, to, to have prophecy, to, 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 commune, to commune with God. So he wanted to be in a good mood, we find Elisha. Elisha was once upset about something, he was upset at one of the Rishayim was, uh, was bothering him. So he said, that he needed to have a musician to, to cheer him up, to, 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 to settle, to, 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 to put him in a more joyous frame of mind before the Spirit of God could rest on him. So some Rishonim said the same thing here. Yitzhak, the, the brachas involved in the vua, so in order to connect to God, he needed to be in a happy frame of mind, so we asked him to bring him delicacies. The Ralbag, who was a follower of the Rambam, who had this disdain for the physical, the Ralbag is not having any of it. He says, I can't be, he says. A Navi would want you know, a, a steak or a hamburger in order to uh, have nevua. That That's a physical pleasure. He says, Elisha, music, music I can understand. He says, music is something ethereal or something spiritual, he says, but food, that can't be why a Navi wants food. So he has another theory. But anyway, yes, so, so the, the Rambam in general, and some, some Rishonim were act, there, there's actually a letter written by the, there's actually an, an essay, not clear who wrote it, it may have been the Ramban, it may have been another medieval Kabbalist, who actually sharply criticizes the Rambam, who says that the Rambam is following the Greeks, who, who had a disdain for the body, some Greeks venerated the body, the, the, the athletics, the games, and so on, but there was another trend in Greek thought that Aristotle, and the, that, that disdained the body, they, they only thought the soul was valuable, they only thought the abstract, and the the loftier spiritual side of man that, that was different from the animals was valuable. They thought the physical body was just an interference and an encumbrance at best, and it was a necessary evil. So the, the, the author of the Geras HaKodesh, which was a kind of Kabbalistic work, it was about uh, sexual activity and other things from a religious, spiritual perspective, he actually writes, this is a pernicious Greek idea, to disdain the body. God made the body. The body is, when used in the correct way, when, when, when utilized... In the, within the framework of the Torah, it's, 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 we, we, should, we shouldn't denigrate God's creations. God made us that way. It's not, a, it's, it's not an unfortunate uh, side effect. That's how God wanted human beings to be. And so I think, yeah, I'm sure it's a lot deeper than that. But basically, that was, this, was, this was an ancient machlokus, whether, the, whether, whether very different perspectives on sexual activity, whether it was uh, a grudging concession we have to make to our mortality, or whether it was something that was a, was a positive feature of God's design of humanity. Anyway, so we'll, 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 we'll discuss this, this issue maybe a little bit further next week, but, it, but these are some of the ideas of Kherpas Mitzrayim.